Hi, and welcome to the second episode in this Livewire series, The Six Colours of Wisdom. In this series, we're looking at planning. We're looking at the different mindsets that come together to give us holistic wisdom when we're thinking of maybe organising an event or thinking through a strategy or presenting any kind of plan to do with anything, really. Um, we said that... Um, Thinking in this way will help all of us become uh, better thinkers when it comes to holistically uh, organizing ourselves, but also it helps us understand the different angles that different people on a team um, can come from when we're working together, which helps us not just get frustrated at somebody thinking they're crazy or lazy or whatever it might be. So we've looked at three um, colours of wisdom so far. We looked at white, which is the data and research. We, we thought about the fact that it helps us not to rush into something, but to gather data and ask questions such as, do I need, sorry, do I need to know more than I know already? Uh, the second um, colour we looked at, I think, was red. And red, we looked at the warning hat. We thought about the red flag. And we, we took time to listen to that kind of sense of something could go wrong here and thinking what do we need to do in order to avoid the possible obstacles. And then finally, uh, in the last episode, we looked at yellow wisdom. We talked about the benefit of positive thinking and how that could help us shape and, and create a picture of the future that would energize us, but that would also kind of help us create a, an inspiring vision and get people on side with us. So today we're gonna to look at three more colors and the first one is blue wisdom. The definition of blue wisdom is intuition or maybe the spirit. Uh, when I think of an emblem for uh, this particular color of wisdom, I think of uh, water like a river or a stream. This idea of a flow of thought that can come through just our intuition or a sense of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And the idea is about leaving time and allowing, uh, allowing that space to listen to either the spirit or our intuition. Let me just read a passage uh, from scripture where I, where I see this in action. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The Holy Spirit doesn't always speak or we don't hear in the moment we need to or we think we need to. So we tend to spend time with him in order that we can hear him at another time or as a friend of mine once said, I don't spend 30 minutes in the morning praying in order for God to speak to me in those 30 minutes. I spend 30 minutes in the morning praying in order that I can hear his voice in the evening over my evening meal. In the same way, a gut instinct is more reliable as we build experiences over time. When I was 20 and 21, 22, I would have been a fool to listen to my gut instincts because quite often my gut instincts wasn't big enough um, I hadn't, didn't have enough experience for it to really mean something and make sense. Now at my age, my gut instinct can really help me. But in either intuition or the Holy Spirit, I think what we're talking about here is the time that we need to spend 
just contemplating and meditating and either listening to ourselves or listening to the Holy Spirit. It's when we ask these kind of questions, these are blue wisdom questions. What are we feeling about the plan? What does our gut instinct say? Have we created time to meditate on it? When I was in the UK, uh, I would spend most of my time just moving forward with the things that made sense to me. But once or twice a year, what I would do is I would spend time in the Lake District. The Lake District is a beautiful part of the north of England. And there's places where you can wilderness camp, where you can go and not really see people and uh, spend time meditating. And I would do that for two or three days, just camp with a tent on a fell somewhere in the north of England. Now, I wouldn't go there and say, okay, God, this is the time to speak to me. I would go there and say, Lord, I'm doing what I believe you would have me to do, but I wanna give you some time and some space in case I'm going down the wrong path. I'm, I'm using the main question I ask to find direction, but if I'm being unwise, then Lord, please speak to me in this time. And over a period of maybe four or five times doing that, there was one particular trip I did when I really felt God kind of speak to me. And in that particular instance, he said, Paul, you're taking your finger off the pulse. And that was a good time to, to re-engage with people I was leading and, and uh, to really get kind of stuck back into what God was having me do. So creating that time and space is really, really helpful. Proverbs says this, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. So when I think about getting wisdom, this idea of creating time and space, uh, it makes me think about something I used to uh, teach uh, when I was working in schools many years ago. And I used to think about the, the Holy Spirit and God speaking to us. And, um, you know, like I say, it reminds me of water. Blue wisdom reminds me of water. And uh, sometimes you look at this and you think, well, I've got all that God has got to give me. But in actual fact, what we find is that there's really kind of no real limit to what God can give us. So I know this is a simple illustration, but I'm just kind of hoping that it will help stick in your mind that sometimes we spend time waiting for God to speak to us. But actually, the more time we spend, the more you'll find he has for us. So as freaky as that may be, I want to encourage you just with that simple uh, thought. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more that you don't quite realise yet that God has for you when you think of blue wisdom. Now let's think about the positives and the negatives. I think one of the positives is that when we get blue wisdom, it gives us incredible courage for what we're doing. So if you know God has said something to you or you're yourself really convinced because your gut instinct says, yes, let's do this, then I think that's a really powerful thing to motivate us. At the same time, if our gut instinct is not there, if we're not really feeling it, as people say, we're not likely to be as courageous or as convicted when we're sharing our thoughts. Another benefit with Blue Wisdom is that we need sometimes for momentum and in leadership quick decisions. And we can't always take a long time um, thinking through the logical uh, elements. We can't always take a long time thinking through this and that. Sometimes we just have to act 
Uh, I'm fortunate now because I'm older. I have quite a lot of gut instincts. You know, I've been through many, many things. I have principles that I now make decisions with. And for me, um, I guess I probably make two or three quite important decisions every day. And I'm always getting asked things constantly every hour. Probably an hour doesn't go past without somebody asking me for some advice or some help or some thinking on stuff. So I don't have the time to just go away and meditate every time I have to make a decision. But the fact that I do meditate, the fact that I do spend some time just kind of listening to God helps me in those moments. I now have principles and I think that's incredibly important and helpful to us. So what about you? Do you take time and space, not necessarily the moment you have a decision, but do you create time to gain wisdom for those moments when you do have to make decisions? I think it's an important question for every single one of us. So one of the negatives I think about blue wisdom is it can be misinterpreted um, and not really be about intuition or the spirit, but become more about feelings and emotions. That's not what we're talking about here. Emotions do come in to our strategies. We'll see at a, a later in this particular live wire, but that's not what we're talking about here. So I think we have to be careful because this form of wisdom's prone to bias. It's prone to superstition. It's prone to people just cutting and pasting the things that they feel good about and they don't want to do. So I would really encourage you, and um, when we're talking about blue wisdom, we're talking about intuition, we're talking about um, the spirit speaking to us. We're not talking about just how we generally feel. You know, is it something we want to do? Is it something we don't feel like doing? It's having a sense of conviction that's really important to us. Another danger is going with our gut instincts when actually our gut instinct um, isn't really that experienced or if our gut instincts, if our experience is full of failure and disappointment, then actually our gut instinct can be very fearful. So the kind of gut instinct you want to go for is once you've built up some experience, once you've seen success, once you've seen things work, I would suggest that your gut instinct is going to be a lot stronger. So for me, um, one of the benefits, going back to the benefits, is that, you know, in my job, there's lots of very strong personalities saying lots of different things to me. And if I don't have a gut instinct about what's right and wrong, I can quite easily just give in to people with strong personalities. What I've learned over the years, though, is not everybody with a strong personality has a strong mind. So as we go through life, the older we get, the more experience in a positive manner that we get, uh, the better this wisdom is for us. So engage with the Holy Spirit. Spend time meditating with the Holy Spirit, but be wary of your gut instinct. If you've got lots of experience and seen lots of success as well as failure, it's probably generally gonna do you more good. Collect experience, talk to people, gain wisdom. The Bible says it's something you can actually get. Okay, with that in mind, let's look at our workshop for Blue Wisdom. So now let's think about a plan of action you're about to commit to an event that you're organizing, a major change to the way you're about to do things. So if you've watched the first episode, you've already got that plan. Now use your blue wisdom to ask these four questions. What are we feeling about the plan? What does our gut instinct say? Have we created time to meditate on it? And one of the most important when it comes to blue wisdom, does the plan flow with the way we see God leading us?
I think that's really important. The idea of a flow of water. Is this idea, is this strategy, is this plan, does it fit with everything else that God's been saying to us? If it goes different from what the way God's been leading you, then maybe there's uh, uh, time to pause and think. So there are four great questions. I would encourage you now over the next five minutes as best you can to begin to ask those questions and apply them to the plan that you've been thinking about during this series. Okay, let's talk about the fifth um, colour of wisdom. The fifth colour of wisdom, maybe this is your colour of wisdom, your primary colour is black wisdom. When we think about black wisdom, we think about um, logic. Is this decision rational? Does it make sense? And I think of the emblem or the picture of a blackboard, you know, something somebody writes on when you're kind of doing math, when you're thinking through some kind of decision. Let's look at a biblical example of black logic. Somebody doing something that just simply makes sense. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The passage goes on to say they chose other people and they gave these people the job of waiting on tables while they spent time in the Word of God and preaching. I think this is a really important part of wisdom, asking the question, does this make sense? You know, sometimes wisdom is merely taking the next logical step. Now, the problem with that, of course, is what's logical to one person may not be logical to another person. Um, so I'm Mancunian, I'm from Manchester, and what I've learned about being from Manchester is that we don't always think the way everybody else thinks. For example, let me show you a video clip about another um, philosopher from Manchester you may have heard of. 30. Adair, the monastery. Sitting at the summit of Jabal Adair is Petra's grandest monument of all, Adair. The name is the Arabic word for monastery. Do take advantage of this moment and immerse yourself in the magnificence and mysticism of this historic place. Right. Yeah. I can't even go in it. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's useless, isn't it? Who's put them there? That's, I mean, look. But my point is, you're sat in there, and that's your view over there. But if you look here, point proven. You're better off living in the hole, looking at the palace, than living in the palace, looking at the hole, aren't you? But I wasn't just talking about buildings, I mean, in life, even being a good-looking person or an ugly one, in a way, you're better off being the ugly one and you get to look at nice things. You're looking at the nicer-looking people. It doesn't matter about being ugly, how often do you look at yourself anyway? Same thing. Be the ugly one, look at the nice one. Okay, so of course I'm kind of joking when I say Carl Pilkinson 
is a famous philosopher, but he is somebody who I think expresses logic sometimes in quite a rational way. Um, but actually, when we think about black wisdom and logic, one of the problems I think we have is that God thinks differently from us. Um, in fact, so do the Hebrews. Um, Hebrews use blot logic, we use step logic. If you're on the West and you're listening to this live wire or watching this live wire episode, whether you realize it or not, you use step logic. So with step logic, things have to fit together. This has to fit into this, which has to fit into this. With blot logic, you can have random truths that don't automatically seem to connect. That's why the parables can be a little bit frustrating because the parables which are, are using Jewish blot logic can talk about a particular situation and the principle as a whole makes sense, but there are things in the story that don't seem to fit with other things that God says ethically. So when we think about step logic and we think about blot logic, what I would encourage you to do is to make sure that you're taking time to learn God's logic from the Word of God. That when we think rationally, when we think, is this logical, that we ask, is it rational, is it logical in context with what the Bible says and not independent from it? So let's look at some of the questions for black wisdom. Does this make common sense? Is it rational? Can it be argued successfully? And importantly, is our plan the next obvious step? Some of the positives of black wisdom is that they're not emotionally driven. One of the other things about black wisdom is I think it avoids spiritual correctness. Now, we've all heard of political correctness, and some of us can think of situations when actually it's a good thing, and many times when actually it's not a very good thing. Spiritual correctness for me is when we just go, um, we, we kind of think, well, that sounds spiritual. Maybe we feel a bit guilty because it doesn't, you know, we feel like we're being unspiritual when we're just being logical and rational. But in actual fact, some things that sound spiritual aren't really that spiritual. Let me give you a couple of instances. So, so I remember a while back um, trying to deal with uh, an issue with a PAYS leader and one of their staff members. And um, the situation was really quite bad and, and the staff member was extremely frustrated with some stuff that had been happening. So I went to meet the two people and gathered them together. And we were in a small, tiny little room. It was like a closet, really. And we were just chatting together. And um, I said, okay, let's, let's talk through this. And the leader pulled out this jumbo-sized guitar and said, well, no, let's worship together, the three of us first. And I'm thinking, well, no, not, let's not do that because this person's too frustrated for us just to try and worship together. Let's get, get some of this out in the open. Let's talk through it. And then maybe we can pray and worship together afterwards. Of course, after the meeting, the person came to me and said, oh, you were, you were kind of um, quashing the Holy Spirit by not worshiping first. And I thought, no, I'm not. I think you're trying to quash the actual conversation and just put the conversation off. So sometimes I think um, black wisdom can, can weed out what I think sometimes is spiritual connectedness. Let me just read something to you from the Word of God. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that one might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you are no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. 
Lush, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many things like that. What was Jesus talking about? Well, what happened was that sometimes people would take things that really they should have just done for their mother and father, but they felt like they should devote those things to God. And it seemed like the more spiritual thing. You know, we've got this food, we've got these assets, whatever they might be, and we're going to devote these things to God. Whereas if you just looked at it logically and rationally, really their mother and father were in need and they could have easily just helped them. And I think Jesus felt that many of the religious people would avoid doing things to really help people and they would spiritualize their reason for not doing that. You see that in the church all the time. People breaking commitments and saying that God told them to do it, for instance. Or the Holy Spirit has led me to do this thing. I know I said I wouldn't do it, but I feel the Holy Spirit saying I should. Well, what I've learned in my life is that the Holy Spirit will not uh, ask you to break his word or your word. And I think black logic, um, this kind of black wisdom, I should say, helps us kind of cut through some of that nonsense. So the question I ask uh, when I'm asking God for direction is very simple. My question is, Lord, what is the most effective thing I can do for your kingdom? And sometimes I don't even have to ask God. I can just ask myself and already know the answer. That's, for me, black wisdom. It makes sense if I do this. It makes sense if I make pays free because I'm going to get more people on board, which is going to advance the kingdom of God to a greater degree, for instance. But then I'll allow time uh, and give space for blue wisdom for God to um, sometimes say, actually, Paul, no, I want you to do this differently. Um, but most of the time, I'm driven, really, if I'm honest, by black wisdom, by that sense of doing what is logical. Let's think of some of the negatives, though, of black wisdom. The problem with common sense is it's not that common. That's what I've learned in my life. And I think that's why we need to make sure that, particularly as Christians, we spend uh, time in God's logic, in God's word, so we understand what he is teaching and what he is saying. Second um, negative about black wisdom is not that not everything God says makes sense. I mean, listen to what the word of God says itself. My thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Now, my way of making sense of this, of, of kind of tying in this idea that God can speak to us, it may not make sense, uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't do things that don't kind of follow the path that he's been saying to us, is that things may not make sense at first but usually they eventually do. Uh, one example in recent Pays history of that is that about two or three years ago, God, I felt, put on my heart to do something that seemed um, certainly, if not illogical, it certainly seemed not the trendy thing to do. Uh, the current trend is to decentralise and to de-brand everything. And I felt God say to me, I want you to standardise what happens on pays, the expectations. I want you to standardise the teaching across pays so that no matter what nation you do pays in, you get the same, roughly the same experience, the same teaching, the same standards. And at first, I think there were, there were a few people who thought, well, that's a bit crazy. That seems to be the wrong thing we should be doing in the day and age in which we live. But I had this strong sense we were supposed to do it. Anyway, later on, it made sense because when we started to talk to Bible colleges, 
about the idea of accrediting uh, pays, the first question they asked is, is this the same in every nation? And when we said, yes, it is, they said, great, we can help you out. The other benefits being that when somebody does one year in one nation but goes to another nation, that second nation knows that they've been trained in the same thing if they're going to, for instance, lead a team. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that, yes, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, so we need to spend time in his logic, his word. But we need to also understand that not everything God says to us will make sense at first, but usually it does eventually. With that in mind, let's look at our workshop. So as we think about the plan of action that we're going to commit to, let's ask these black wisdom questions. Does this make common sense? Is it rational? Can it be argued successfully? Is our plan the next obvious step? If it's next, not the next obvious step, does it still fit within the things that God has generally been telling us to do? So as you've probably seen by now, we've had five different colours of wisdom. And the fact of the matter is that if we only use one, we're going to struggle. We need intuition, but we need logic as well. And we shouldn't complain about those who are saying, I've got a gut feeling. And we shouldn't complain about those who just seem to be kind of heartless and just saying, well, no, this makes sense. It's all beneficial to us. Abram Maslow said this, if the only tool you carry around is a hammer, you'll see every problem as a nail. And of course, lots of different problems have lots of different solutions. So hopefully this is building an idea and a picture that we need to involve all these different ways of thinking. And if you as an individual can practice the ones that are not natural to you, you will become wiser and better at thinking through problems and planning for your future. Let's look at the final color of wisdom. Green wisdom is my favorite color of wisdom. And when we think about green wisdom, we think about creativity. And the emblem for this is a plant, particularly a, a young shoot. This idea of a shoot or a plant that is, that is growing, it's organic and it changes direction sometimes. Um, so I like to think that I think mainly in this form of um, planning. I'm always asking the question, is there another way of doing this? Is there an alternative? Let me just read though, first of all, from the scripture. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. God is drawn to emptiness. He always was and he still is. He hovers over and he's looking for emptiness. One of our problems is not that we have too little creativity. We have too little emptiness. God is drawn to emptiness. And when he sees emptiness, he can fill it with creativity. You know, God is creative. Listen to what it says in scripture. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God's creative, but he made you to be creative as well. For me, creativity is a character trait. The more godly we become, the more creative we become. It's a character, uh, character trait because it's driven by love. 
if you love somebody, you become creative. You know, you see nowadays more and more the creative kind of a wedding or proposals that you see on YouTube and they're driven out of love. If you're creative for the people you're trying to reach out to, so if you love the people you try and reach out to, you'll become more creative. There are some massive benefits to this form of wisdom and there's also um, some thoughts we need to think about how do we become creative. Well, first of all, we need to be empty, but let's look at the questions that we might ask. Is there another way of doing this? Is there another angle to look at this? And is there a reason why we have always done it this way? So one of the uh, positive things about green wisdom is it helps us reconnect with the creativity that we had as children that's often been worked out of us over a period of time. But what I realized a while back is to help people reconnect with that creativity that was once lost, we have to recreate emptiness. And in order to do that, I spent a little bit of time thinking about some kind of equation and came up with what I call the creativity model. Let me help you think about how you can become creative as you do this exercise time and time again. Here's how we work through this. So first of all, imagine your plan, imagine your idea, and then take away the very thing you would normally do. So take away the kind of default idea. So imagine you're trying to lead a church, but you're banned from using buildings. Or imagine you are running a business, but you're banned from ever having any kind of staff. Wherever your idea might be, take away the most fundamental thing you would normally need for the idea to work. And then start thinking, okay, if we didn't have that, what would we have to do? What would we need if we didn't have a building? What would we, how would we operate this business if we never had any staff? And what will happen is you'll come up with ideas that you wouldn't normally have because you've previously had too much fullness. That emptiness helps you think through ideas you wouldn't normally have. Once you've done that, then you then put back in the default idea, the thing that you would normally use, but now you have some other ideas you may not have thought about. It's actually a really powerful um, exercise to do. Before I ask you to do this exercise, let's first look at the negatives. One of the negatives is that sometimes we always think there has to be a new way. When in actual fact, sometimes the old way is there for a reason. You know, I often see old ideas as pillars in a house. Sometimes that pillar's in the way. Sometimes it's a little bit awkward. It's a bit frustrating to have that pillar in the room. So we think, well, let's knock it down. But the minute we knock it down, we realize it was holding something up that we didn't know it was holding that up because the pillar was already there. So there are some times when the old ideas are there for a reason. In fact, an old idea was probably at one point someone's green wisdom. Somebody probably came up with that idea. It was probably once a new idea and um, it's there for a reason and it's not until we dismantle it we see that there is the problem. So be very, very careful when you're coming up with new ideas to first ask why is the old idea here already. Somebody once said to me a while back, um, they, they gave me this plan, this idea, and they didn't really know me, they just kind of joined Pays, and I said, no, we're, we're not actually going to do that. And they, they looked, well, Paul, that's very surprising because, um, 
you know, you seem closed off to new ideas. And I said, no, actually, the problem's not that I'm closed off to a new idea. The problem is that what you've just suggested is actually an old idea that we once tried and found a better way. So sometimes rather than just thinking, oh, let's do something different, ask, why is that there in the first place? Okay, with that in mind, let's look at our final workshop and apply green logic, green wisdom, I should say, to this plan, this event, this thought, this idea that you've had throughout this series. Is there another way of doing this? Is there another angle to look at this? Is there a reason why we've always done it this way? And then we ask the final question, how can we apply the creativity model? Remember, you take away the default idea, the main thing you would normally do, you see what other ideas you would be forced to come up with, you put back in that default idea, but now you have new ideas that maybe you can apply that you didn't have before, and the reason you didn't have them before is simply because you didn't need them before. I really hope this series has been of help to you, a real blessing to you. Um, I hope you see the benefit of the way other people think on your team. And hopefully as an individual now, you will find that your wisdom has been broadened. And as you operate in these other colors of wisdom, I guarantee you will become a wiser and more effective person. Thanks very much for listening. I hope it's been helpful to you. Bless you. Bye.